Welcome to Rocker Radio. I'm Jason Bryan, and you're listening to Well Connected. When you're passionate about solving problems, you can find yourself with a bit of a following. Stephen Onadell is one such person I know in our industry whose personal brand has become synonymous with fraud prevention. When I first saw Stephen Onadell push through roaming fraud prevention changes for NRTRDE 10 years ago, he clearly demonstrated to us all that when you're an influencer and when change is needed, you can make a long-term difference in our industry. In his new role as Vice President of Business Development at Morbillium, Steve tells us about his career in telecoms, working as an M&O and vendor, and gives us his advice on the industry today. It's very difficult to predict the future, but what you can guarantee in telecoms is that there's always a new challenge, there's always innovation. Let's just say the explosion of data usage. I can remember 10 years ago, back at T-Mobile, we were trying to get consumers to adopt data and to use it, and they weren't doing it. It's with great pleasure that I'm here with Stephen Onadel, Vice President of Business Development at Mobilium. Stephen, this is a new role for you, isn't it? Absolutely. I'm really excited to have joined Mobilium. Obviously, I've been long been aware of Mobilium, both in their former guise as Romeware and in the last few years since their migration to Mobilium. And it's a company that's always fascinated me, always interested me, constant innovation and such a comprehensive portfolio that it's a real privilege to be here. I want to know about the Stephen Onadell that we all know from the industry. What was the moment that you started in telecoms? If I go back, uh, post-university, I was an auditor at PwC. It was Coopers and Librand at the time. And I knew that wasn't the thing for me. So I I took my first role, a company called Dixon's. I just knew that wasn't a long-term future. It was quite a difficult company to work in. What was your interest in working in Dixon's? Well, you're in practice, you want to find a job in the commercial sector. I knew I didn't want to be an auditor. It was not for me. (laughs) So a job came up. It's an interesting uh, company. It's fascinating to see the inside of a company like that. I was lucky to be involved in a project to build their first internet fulfillment distribution center. And that was at the very, very early days of the internet when Amazon was still just selling books. So that was really interesting. But at the time, my sister was working for cable and wireless and she piqued my interest in telecoms. And I was conscious that one-to-one had an office fairly near my home. Eventually, an opportunity came up and I applied for it and was lucky enough to get it. And I moved into the finance team as a project manager. And that's how it started. One-to-one, for those people who don't know the British mobile uh, telecoms history, is the forerunner of T-Mobile EE. It was called Mercury One-to-One at the beginning, wasn't it? Exactly. So I joined post-Mercury One-to-One, and a few months after I joined, it became T-Mobile United Kingdom. And that's where my long and really very rewarding relationship with Deutsche Telekom started. So what were you doing as finance project manager in T-Mobile UK then? I had a couple of small projects, but I had two really big projects. One was replacing the mediation platform, and the other was replacing the interconnection billing platform. 
And I ended up working for reporting into a director who looked after revenue assurance, billing and carrier services. So he got to know me. And eventually an opportunity came to work in the revenue assurance team. And with my finance background, that was uh, really relevant. So I moved into there. I was there for around a year. And then an opportunity came up in the carrier services team. And that's when I began my long journey into the world of roaming. So what attracted you about a role in carrier services? At the time, I didn't really know what it was about. I can't say I picked the role as such. I was told, look, we need someone here. We think you'll be good at it. And that was great. I can't say the international business attracted me to the world of roaming. I was ignorant. But once I got in there, what I discovered was the most beautiful thing of the role was meeting and dealing with so many people from so many different countries. That's been one of my biggest privileges. You hear this a lot, actually, in our industry, that people obviously love the concept of travel and actually to be in roaming and to actually use their mobile phone for roaming purposes is also quite a treat, right? And a number of people went into roaming or international business for that very reason. So beyond that, you started in finance, you moved into carrier services, and then basically you worked your way up in the roaming team, as I understand it. Yeah, I was uh, like an internal consultant for about nine, ten months, uh, trying to improve processes. So I came in to do that. And believe you me, T-Mobile UK had plenty of scope for optimization. We also had one of the most incredible product managers I've ever worked in with my career, who had the most incredible attention to detail. And he wanted the best and never stopped pushing. And his expectations weren't being met. So I was the consultant trying to deal with that. Then the roaming manager role became available and I applied for it and I was lucky enough to be appointed and that's where things really changed. That's when it all took off. Because if I remember correctly, uh, you were developing a roaming management system within T-Mobile, wasn't that right? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) The first system I did not develop, it was a system, believe it or not, called RATS. R-A-T-S, and that was the Revenue Assurance Tracking System. A former colleague, Steve, uh, developed that. And we had a a significant add-on to support some of our roaming requirements. But then eventually, it was no longer adequate. We wanted something that was a lot more capable, that would support XML, was cross-functional, document management, automation, integration into the billing system and provisioning, etc. And we developed that, and that was called BRIT the business roaming intelligence tool. And we actually sold a variant of it to our friends and colleagues in T-Mobile USA. And I certainly know it's still being used in T-Mobile in EE now. And I left seven years ago. And we had well over 100 users of that company-wide. So that was very, very fulfilling. But it did teach me a very pertinent lesson, which is we built something that was state-of-the-art. But if you look back at it with hindsight, it was expensive because you take the full load of the costs. Furthermore, the roadmap, you only have your own ideas. When you're dealing with a vendor solution, there may be maybe more payment up front, but in the long run, it's a lot cheaper and you get much more innovation. So you, you didn't really get the payback that you wanted for Rats and Brit, but it was still worth doing, right? We did get the payback. And in terms of efficiency, we were a very small team. We didn't have the big roaming teams that you see in maybe some of the more incumbent networks in Europe. We were three or four people and a couple of IREG testers, etc. But many different departments interfacing into the process flow. 
But I guess what I learned was, in the long run, it can be cheaper to buy something off the shelf. But going back 12, 15 years ago, there was nothing off the shelf. I can remember presenting it, the solution to what was then EDS, which has now eventually become Cineverse, saying, you guys should uh, come to a partnership with us and sell this to your customers. I think they'd like it. And I don't think they understood. They didn't see it at all. Maybe it was even too small a business idea for them. You look at some of the companies now that are selling innovative roaming management solutions, the demand's definitely there. No, I think the demand for end-to-end roaming management solution, it would be great because right now, obviously with messaging, with Internet of Things, there's so much for the roaming team or the personnel in the roaming team to be taking on board. So who needs to manage that whole RIAX system of processes anymore? It's like... You need it to be efficient now, especially with regulation and things like this happening. Well, and that's it. The margins aren't what they used to be. That means the teams supporting that business unit presumably need to be uh, more efficient and less costly. So you need automation. I was on the other side, of course. During this time, I was working in O2 UK, and we were also building our own bombing management system. But yeah, it sure was tough because you had to build everything yourself. You spend a lot of resource time on it. So Absolutely. you're working your way up to uh, International Roaming Manager. What happened then? You started doing things in GSMA for, on behalf of T-Mobile, didn't you? Yeah, on behalf of T-Mobile UK and on behalf of uh, Deutsche Telekom Group, we were fortunate to have a really good relationship with them. We were very lucky. We were in an environment where your opinion could be shared, would be robustly challenged as it should be, but ultimately sensible decisions for the best interests of the business and the group were made. So, yeah, I did a lot of work on the GSMA side of things. You know, it's a benefit being a native speaker, being based in London, because many of the GSMA meetings at that time anyway were in London. One of the earliest things was working, in fact, with you on the ring meetings, when we really did get to grips with some very interesting aspects of roaming, which are now taken for granted. But stuff like network extensions, these were quite revolutionary at the time. And uh, it was a really interesting time, very fulfilling. There is one thing that's given me great satisfaction over my career that I would like to take the opportunity to mention. And, you know, when we work in the technology industry, it can be kind of difficult to explain to our friends or our parents what we do. And I kind of think of those, uh, you could call it a mother or grandmother moment, explaining to your grandmother what it is you do or an achievement. (laughs) And they're very difficult to do. Okay, because inevitably, if you work in mobile, people say to me, oh, that's very interesting. But what handset do you recommend? Or why is my coverage so poor at home? And I think my one mother or grandmother moment was NRTRDE, near (laughs) real-time roaming data exchange. And I do look at that uh, with a lot of pride. In many ways, consider it my baby. And if we go back in time, I was the roaming manager at T-Mobile UK, very frustrated at the amount of fraud we were suffering and the amount of fraud that we were receiving taking place in our network, because that was not good business. And I remember calling the director of the fraud forum of the GSM Association saying, this is terrible. We have a process that relies on exchange of files 36 hours after the event. It's awful it's being done by facts it's frankly a joke and it's not fit for purpose and i was told well thanks for the feedback but it's not the responsibility of the fraud forum to fix that process the industry association and the fraud team don't think it's their responsibility and i grabbed the ball by the horns and decided i'm going to get this fixed 
and I had the agreement of my boss that this was a good thing to do. And I got a paper presented. It was in, uh, I think, March 2006. I remember it well in Bangkok, Comrade Hotel there. And I had, I think it was 113 networks supporting the paper. And that was where NRTRDE was born. And although I had that idea to take it forward initially, uh, the credit's not all mine. Because once you agree the idea, you then have to standardize everything and come up with the rules and procedures. And I was part of that core team. And it was a privilege to work with so many talented people. And of course, now NRTRD is ubiquitous. Everybody does it. And it's a huge business benefit. And so if I look back at my career, I'm sure that will be one of those grandma moments when I say, well, <laughs> I did this. Well, I think it comes down to the fact that when we were born, you wouldn't have said, I'm going to go into telecoms because it just didn't exist or it, it wasn't born yet. And I think as the generations progress, you know, we are going to be able to explain this better because people do have a handle of what a mobile network operator is and what roaming is much more than they used to. But I want to pick up on this NRTRDE point because, you know, that was one of the hardest to grasp uh, acronyms that we had in the industry. But you really led that. And I think that really gave you a lot of visibility in the industry. And you got a lot of respect for that and well deserved because this was demonstrating is that the members of the GSM Association have a voice over whatever the GSM Association wants to do on its own, meetings, or conferences, whatever, there is a responsibility behind. And the operators got together and they did something and you led that. And that's a wonderful achievement, a wonderful legacy to look back on. Well, you're right. And it's very kind of you to say that. But I would emphasize I really had the great support of the team members that helped standardize it. And I was lucky that both my manager at the time and Deutsche Telekom said, yep, let's go for this full on. But I think the reality is I couldn't have done anything without the support of all those people that work with me on the standardization project. And actually, in reality, at the time in T-Mobile, my boss was really supportive and said, yep, spend the time on this. And Deutsche Telekom were very supportive. So it's always a team effort, but I won't deny it. I'm always proud of that particular achievement. And it does show what you can do as an individual. If you've got a good idea and it's sensible, you can work bottom up. And often, you know, when we look at some of the GSMA ideas, a lot of time has gone into them, not necessarily with the results everyone would want. And maybe that's because sometimes they're top down. There's a place for both strategies, really. Yeah, it seems to me that there is some projects which are always coming down from, the, let's say, the board of the GSMA, which, of course, are good initiatives that need to be developed. But then within the working parties we worked in, there was always a bottom-up approach where the operators were coming, they were saying what the issues were, and momentum was gathering for those projects as well. Going back to T-Mobile, at this point in time, uh, there were some interesting changes going on in terms of licenses and what was happening in the UK. And isn't it true that you started working directly with the competitor in the UK, which was, of course, Orange. And the two companies started to merge and to do things as one single entity. Yes, we did merge, but that was kind of towards the end of my time at T-Mobile. Wow, so okay. prior to that, you know, not that long, maybe after the NRTRDE stuff, several more years as the roaming manager, then I got promoted to be the head of carrier services, a role I really enjoyed because I got the benefits of some of the roaming side, which I really enjoyed, and then dealt with interconnection. And interconnection is similar to roaming in some ways, obviously a limited number of partners that you deal with, but the values are absolutely astronomical. 
And I've always had a legal side to me. When I left university, I was debating whether to be an auditor or a lawyer. And I just got offered an accountancy job first. It was as simple as that. So that's what I went for. And on the Interconnect side, there's a lot of scope for disputes. And those disputes, they don't start at less than two or three million pounds. That's the reality. And I even appeared in the in court, actually, in the UK as a witness of fact, the, the Competition Appeal Tribunal. That's a moment I'll never forget. And you really have to do a lot of training and preparation for that. I never thought I'd be in a, tele, in a court discussing telecoms regulation and being cross-examined by a barrister. But, you know, those are kind of experiences you have. You don't expect, but you make of them what you can, certainly at the time. And you look back at them later with happy memories. Interconnect is definitely a different world to Roaring Height. It's got a completely different structure. Absolutely. And there's two aspects to Interconnect. There's the domestic aspect, which is a very controlled and it's a trusted framework. But once you start looking at international traffic and that kind of interconnection, wow, that's when it starts feeding into all the work I've been doing on fraud. And it's scary. It, some aspects of it are really like the Wild West. And that's linked to when I was working on NRTRDE and very much linked to the stuff I'm doing now with Mobilium. So you were actually head of carrier services, I believe, for around three years before there was a huge change in the company. Of course, there was the merger and then you were rebranded. That's right. So we rebranded initially to Everything Everywhere. There were skeptics at the time about the Everything Everywhere brand. And I think those skeptics would prove right because the high street name now is EE, as uh, many of your listeners will know. And I guess at that time, I'd been at the company 10 years, uh, changes were made, and it was a good opportunity for me to move on. Uh, everyone at the time told me this would be the best thing that ever happened to you. I wasn't necessarily so convinced. But I can say now, with the value of hindsight, of course, it was a really good move for me. And I ended up joining a company, the time known as Telcordia, uh, now known as iConnective. And they were actually one of my suppliers. And I had a relationship with them. And the funny thing is, Jason, uh, I can remember at the time I was looking for my next challenge. And a different vendor said to me, Steve, I'd love to have you in my team. You're a salesman. You can do the job. And I very much remember turning around to him and saying, no way, you've got the wrong person. I'm not a salesman. I can't do that job. So I took the job with Telcordia because they didn't want a sales guy. They wanted business development. What I rapidly learned was that business development really is a form of sales and things weren't so different for me. And I enjoyed it. And I always look back at there was in T-Mobile, we organized a marketing event for the whole marketing team. And our team, Carrier Services, was in wholesale marketing. And I was one of the three people that organized that event. And I remember someone said to me, you should be in sales. It's quite incredible how things happen. That's what I'm really doing now. And I've been doing it for seven, eight years and really enjoy it. The most rewarding part is the people. So what was Telecordia Technologies, or as you said, iConnective, what was the kind of scope that they had? Well, so I worked on a, a few products, and I was very lucky that my interconnection and roaming background fitted well, because they are the world leader in number portability. So of course, if you're responsible for interconnection, you get very uh, familiar with the whole number portability processes. So that was one aspect. They had several numbering databases. And I was the first customer to buy one of those particular numbering databases from them and deploy it from an anti-fraud perspective. 
And that was extremely effective. That's still in use back at EE. And uh, I then was able to sell that product to many, many operators around the world. I think it's over 30 or more. And it was really rewarding. And I remember the highlights of my career, iConnective, was a customer in Scandinavia. I spoke to her after Christmas. She was the fraud manager. And I said to her, how was Christmas? And she said, the best one ever. For the first time, now that we've got your product installed, I didn't get a call out. And I didn't get disturbed once over my holidays. And that, for me, was the pinnacle of customer satisfaction. It's always rewarding, isn't it, to hear it directly that you've had a positive impact on somebody's life. Sometimes you don't expect them to be quite that good. And so it really was very, very rewarding. It's interesting you mentioned mobile number portability because we've been doing some research recently on eSIM. And of course, when this hits a consumer market like it has already with wearables and things like this, it's going to affect mobile number portability, I would say, quite a bit. So it would be interesting to get your view on that. Well, I think when you look at number portability, there's kind of two aspects to it. One is the physical aspect of you obtain a new SIM and the whole contractual relationship. Okay. But then the second one is transferring a live account from network A to network B in a fully coordinated manner so that inbound calls, when they are received before the cutover point and after the cutover point, are correctly routed to avoid fraud because you can get hijacking. And the reason they want to do that is to get the one-time pins associated with your bank account, for example. So there is a requirement for a separate process with identification, verification, and validation, and coordination. Because what you don't want to happen, which in poor processes can happen, is that customers have an outage when they can't receive calls or SMSs for hours. And that has to be avoided. I think there is a small impact. I don't think it will change things fundamentally. It's likely that a lot of processes for changing from one operator to another may be happening on online sales channels in the future, as opposed to going into stores. And of course, eSIM brings the possibility where you can just easily change the identity of, of your phone, of your account. Absolutely. I think in that aspect, without any doubt, that's where the real benefits are, in that a customer can do everything from their seat and have everything provisioned over the air without going into a store. But you still have to validate and verify that customer because you've still got the risk of a hijacking or fraud, etc. And so that will limit the scope for it to be too touchless. I think a network that's giving out an iPhone X that's worth £1,000 to a new customer, they want to validate who they are. And you might have all the documentation, but how do you know that documentation hasn't been stolen? And that may limit the ability to do everything remotely. So going back to your career and Telecordia, Telecordia became iConnective, but it was also part of the Ericsson group. Isn't that correct? Yes. Yeah, so Ericsson purchased what was Telcordia and incorporated half the business into Ericsson. One division was spun off because of US government regulations. And then there was one division left, which was the former interconnection solutions division. And that was rebranded as iConnective. And really for us, we were somewhat at arm's length from Ericsson. We had cooperation and collaboration with them, but it wasn't really a full integration. And so for me, day to day, yeah, things didn't change too much. Sure, there was a new brand. It was a very confusing message to give people, but nonetheless, 
I was able to get on and do the stuff I loved. And I had a good time there. But I do think it was time to change. After 10 years at T-Mobile, I said I'll never spend 10 years in a company again without change because change is a good thing. And I, before I knew it, it was seven years at iConnective, which was more than I ever thought I'd spend there. So one question on the swap, because, you know, we all know in this industry that there's the dark side and there's the light side, as they say in Star Wars. So you've got the light side, which is always the mobile network operator, and the dark side, which are the vendors. And you made the swap. You moved from a mobile network operator environment to become a supplier to a mobile network operator. How was that? I always get asked, which is better? It was challenging at the beginning. There are some things I miss. I used to manage a team of people, and I loved managing people, and I loved the camaraderie and, frankly speaking, the banter of the office. I now work from home. So when you're at home, you don't have that. But on the other hand, you don't have maybe the bureaucracy of a large company and the predictability. It's very different on a vendor side. It's a lot more innovative, a lot more creative, and you have to react to circumstances very quickly. If a potential customer calls you up and says, I want a meeting tomorrow, you've got to go. We're here to serve customers. We're here to make their lives better and easier. Yeah, I know about that these days. Going from a big company to a small company is a big change, but also it must have helped a lot have had the mobile network operator background when you were selling into them as well. When you're selling to people that are doing the job you used to do, you really understand their pain points. And it's just so important. You constantly feel as if you're able to put yourself in their position. Now, sometimes that might be a mistake because not all companies are the same. But I found that to be invaluable. So after being in iConnective for seven years, how time has flown since I remember you starting there? What would you say was the big lesson that you learned from that experience? I think the big one is being on the vendor side and selling, you are to an extent on your own in the sense if stuff's going to happen, you have to make it happen. People might be interested in buying your products, but they're busy and they forget stuff. It's not the fun side of the job necessarily, but you can't have the glory without a lot of pain before it. So it's about being independently minded and motivated to just get stuff done and never giving up. You get knockbacks all the time. That's the nature of stuff. People might want to buy stuff and their budget's removed or, or you've lost to a competitor. Thankfully, that didn't happen too often, of course. But you have to persevere all the time and never give up. Last year, you also started to become a director for the Communications Fraud Control Association. Can you tell us what that is? Yes. Yeah, so starting with NRTRDE, my path towards becoming what is apparently an expert in fraud began. And uh, I've spent many years in that domain now. And uh, iConnective, I specialized so about half of my time selling into the fraud sector. And I attended some meetings of what's commonly known as the CFCA. It's a global counter-fraud organization headquartered in America. And I found it really rewarding uh, attending the meetings, not just for selling, but also for learning and sharing and collaboration. And I thought, you know what, I'd like to give a little bit more back. And when you're in the job of business development, some people think, oh, you only come to the meetings to sell and not to give. 
okay and that's not my nature and uh, hopefully the people that know me know that as much as I have to do my job I want to give back to the industry as well and this is a great opportunity to do that yeah you certainly have going back to the NRTRD days and that being launched in 2008 you've set yourself on a path here haven't you you've become a person iconic in the fraud space and that's helped you a lot with your career I would say I think it comes down to passion actually because what you've demonstrated is a passion for something which you felt was wrong and you needed to be changed and you had the time and you had the support to go ahead and change it and I think you're right I mean being part of associations especially if you're a vendor you always get the impression the vendor wants to try and sell something but actually you also want to give something back you also want to use your knowledge and experiences in a positive way for the industry and I think that's really clear within your career moving into mobilium as you have now you've also got a role focused on fraud and analytics i understand that's right and it's not just fraud the job titles business development for counter fraud and analytics and the analytics business in mobilium is quite breathtaking it's not something i was uh, hugely familiar with as i understand their path into the analytics world started with roaming and really using a huge amount of analytics and big data to churn that data to understand issues such as silent roamers and how to get roamers to increase consumption to drive revenues and to drive customer satisfaction and that's all about behavior and so once you understand the behavior of a customer you can then apply that to fraud because fraud is all about deviant behavior and understanding when is a customer exhibiting deviant behavior and if you can ignore and eliminate false positives you can then identify fraud and i was actually very privileged when i was back in iconnective that i was lucky enough to work with mobilium on a project and that's how i discovered just how capable and smart they were and that was just such an eye opener i just thought to myself this is a company i want to work for i've got a question for you because it seems to me that mobilium we can also take cineverse as an example and um, these are companies which have diversified away from the roaming business to some degree into a much wider scope and that scope is around analytics it's around big data and it's about understanding the need for having data about what customers are doing about behaviors the kind of analytics we're talking about um that we see in Google what Amazon is doing it's all about big data these days isn't it I think when you're Mobilium are in the enviable position of having 600 customers you can't really sign up any more so you have to look at your next step and as i mentioned they started understanding the value of analytics early on and it's about bringing additional value to operators because when you deploy a network traffic redirection solution traffic steering there's an immediate and very quick payback but that's the low hanging fruit if you want to start making additional revenue and additional margin you might have to work a little bit harder to get that and that's where the analytics business comes in but it has huge scope to help operators Can you give me an example of an analytics solution that Mobilium is doing that you're working on at the moment? Yes, in terms of what I'm working on, that would be the counter fraud side and that would be looking at behavior of consumers and identifying fraud. Now, you might say but there's loads of fraud vendors that do that. Absolutely, Jason. There are loads. And the problem they would have is their architecture and hardware is decades old. 
everything's based on thresholds. So you say, for example, did customer Joe Blogs make 20 calls to Cuba yesterday or in a time period? And if they've called Cuba more than 20 times, that indicates fraud. And the problem with solutions like that is there's a very, very high level of false positives. Believe it or not, a false positive rates anything between 25 and 80% is not unusual. Now, if you've got a false positive rate of 80%, that means for every 100 cases a fraud analyst investigates because there's an alarm, 80 of them was a waste of time. And even worse, if an operator's taken automatic action, that would mean 80 customers have been upset because they couldn't uh, use their phone. What we say is look at the behavior, understand, okay, a customer called Cuba a lot. But maybe after calling Cuba, they called home to speak to their wife. And maybe they're on the normal cell site. And then maybe they did an internet session and looked at the BBC News, just like they always do. And maybe we could see from their location information, they started off in central London and ended up in their home location. And yes, they called Cuba 20 times, but all this other information tells us that, yeah, they're maybe going on holiday to Cuba, but actually there's no fraud. It's just unusual usage. And the real benefit to operators is reducing wasted effort in false positives, reducing fraud losses, and actually, more importantly, you are able to relax some of those restrictions on certain services and grow revenue. Now, what I mean by that, given many of your audience will be roaming people, is in many operators, they don't allow new customers to have roaming, or you have to pay a deposit to have roaming, or many risky supplementary services, such as multi-party calling, are banned on the network. They're not allowed. Now, these services are good, and they generate good revenue. Why not allow them? Because you can de-risk them by having a capable fraud prevention system. And that's where we're very lucky. And Mobilium, it really does join together our analytics capability together with a roaming heritage. Our roaming heritage means we are a trusted partner to be in a mobile operator's network and taking action on that network. That may be interfering with location updates or addressing calls that can and can't be made or diverting calls in certain ways. So we have the analytical capability with our platform to identify fraud and then actually take automated action to prevent the fraud. And that's a unique capability in the industry. It seems to me that you are still on a mission and you've found a place in which you can accomplish this mission, and that is to cut out fraud altogether, right? I am absolutely passionate for what Mobilium's doing. You asked for an example of what we're doing with machine learning and big data. Many of the solutions to monitor quality of roaming are at a macro level, and they'll tell you a link is down. But what about the individual VIP customers that are having a poor experience? Wouldn't it be amazing that when you see a VIP customer is having a poor experience, something flashes up on the radar and you see it down to subscriber level and maybe customer services can contact them proactively before the complaint comes in or at least something splashes up on the screen to say, warning, this customer's had a bad experience. We can do all of that today. I've seen the demos of it. It is amazing. And this is a ground changer. I've been a subscriber of all the mobile operators in the United Kingdom. And when I roam, sometimes things don't work well. And when you call customer services, it's a terrible experience. And actually, they never resolve your issue. 
And that's because they're not on top of the roaming experience in the same way that they are of the home experience. So solutions like our CEM tool are absolutely required by all operators. But to do it at the individual subscriber level, you can't do that without big data and machine learning because there's far too much data to analyze and correlate. And what you want is a simple, single score to tell you on each individual customer level what is their satisfaction. It does make sense that the last 10, 15 years that I've been aware of Mobilium and its predecessor, Roamware, with all of this access to all of these different services and data that you have, And it's very interesting to hear all of this analytics and information that you've got from the various different sources actually paying off. Absolutely. And you get so much feedback from your customers of where they'd like to go. You've got product managers that really understand the market and the future direction of the market that hopefully it means it's a recipe for success to deliver innovative products to the market because ultimately we want to make the customer experience better. Clearly, Steve, you've had a tremendous uh, career so far. What lesson did you learn from your experience in telecoms? It's a people business. It really is about forming trusted relationships. Never be scared of innovation. Never be scared to adapt to change and embrace it. But as I say, it's all about the people. There must be a lot of people thinking about getting into the technology area, the tech arena, or the telecoms specific arena. So considering that so many different companies, so many different sectors and verticals are interested in tech and telecoms these days, what advice would you give to anyone starting in the telecoms space? There's just so many opportunities available in telecoms. The market never ceases to evolve. We look at IoT that wasn't there five, ten years ago. That's a a brand new sector that suddenly exists and it's absolutely dependent on telecoms in so many different ways. So that might be your area of interest because you look at the, the voice and the mobile innovation that still continues to happen and the explosion that we expect with 5G, that might be what suits you. It's very difficult to predict the future, but what you can guarantee in telecoms is that there's always a new challenge, there's always innovation. Let's just say the explosion of data usage. I can remember 10 years ago, back at T-Mobile, we were trying to get consumers to adopt data and to use it, and they weren't doing it. If I look at my kids today, they don't use voice. They don't use SMS. For them, it's all about internet connectivity on the move. So things have changed dramatically, but nonetheless, that mobile phone is indispensable to its users thinking about the future and thinking about what's happening next month actually the winter olympics are starting in korea and it was kt telecom who i believe said that that point is going to be where they non-commercially launch 5g and so 5g is imminent it's coming doesn't it feel like there's so much speculation about 5g what is it actually 5G is a really interesting question, Jason. You know, I understand the standards have only just been agreed and every country's trying to get a lead there. And it, what will be really interesting about 5G are the new use cases with that, you know, the lower latency, the higher speed and throughput, what services will come to the market that maybe couldn't have come to the market today. It is interesting to see that some markets are closing 2G networks, others are closing 3G networks. 
And my experience day to day in the UK is the 4G service is quite phenomenal. And it's hard to imagine what 5G will bring over and above that. But what I've learned is never predict the future in our industry. It's really hard to get things right. I can remember when I heard the first rumors of Apple coming up with a phone thinking, oh, I can't see Apple beating Nokia. You know, Nokia have been in the business so long. How could anyone take them on? And how wrong was I? Innovation can come from the places you least expect. And obviously, 5G is going to be an incredible enabler for that. And hopefully, it'd be a great opportunity for companies like Mobilium to bring new products and services to our customers. As an industry person associated with fraud, any advice you would have for mobile operators about the trends in fraud or about their strategy for fraud? One really key thing is I find many fraud managers are very attached and uh, comfortable with their fraud systems. And they get into a habit, I believe, of accepting a certain amount of fraud is inevitable. Now, you can't eliminate fraud. Let's not be naive. But the amount of fraud you may think is acceptable month to month may be reduced dramatically. And I think uh, working with companies such as Mobilium that have truly innovative solutions can do that. I know when I was back at T-Mobile UK, we eliminated our roaming fraud problem. Literally, it went from a very big number to zero or £10,000 in a year. Innovation is what enables you to do that. You need vendors that are willing to change the landscape and approach old problems, new solutions and new techniques. So are you still attending the GSMA FASG meetings? Do you get lots of uh, mobile operators engaged in those meetings? Yeah, there's normally a good mix between new attendees and established attendees. But if I look at the attendee list of next week's meeting, in reality, it's around 40 operators globally are attending. Now, they represent, of course, millions and millions of customers, and some of those will be very large operator groups. But if you think of a world where we have probably a thousand operators, it's not so big. So I do think it's unfortunate that more people don't attend and that there isn't more collaboration in the industry of sharing information. We just completed a special survey with MNOs actually on Internet of Things security strategy and you know because Internet of Things has its own unique fraud and security situation. It seems to me that in association meetings, be it any association, there's never enough disclosure about the fraud to ever really eradicate fraud in terms of just operators sharing with each other what situations they've had. Do you think it's changing over the years or is that a good assessment? I think it's mixed. In my experience, where operators are very good is on a national level. So in individual countries, the operators generally speaking, share information quite well. Obviously, there's competition constraints, but I do think on an international level, there is not as much collaboration and cooperation as there could be in information sharing. Now, the GSMA meetings are very good in the sense that operators will highlight new case studies, that kind of thing. But in terms of reporting on individual fraud cases that happen day to day all the time you don't see as much as that as possibly one could thank you so much steve for the insights you've given to us in this podcast anything else you'd like to add 
Well, first of all, it's been a pleasure to have got to know you, Jason, and work with you over the years and to see how well Rocco's doing. And thank you for the invitation. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Look out for more in the Well Connected series in the coming weeks. Currently, Rocco is working on a new research project with operators on MIOT. The MIOT strategy report will dig into how MNOs are going to handle this for roaming. Simply go to our research projects page to complete the survey. Every MNO who takes part will receive an exclusive free executive summary report containing the aggregated data of all MNOs who took part. Until next time, this is Jason Bryan, and you've been listening to Well Connected from Rocker Radio.